This is The Hike, a limited series. Conversations with independent advisors and home office employees. Stay focused, learn something, and keep moving forward. All right. Well, hello and welcome everyone to another edition of The Hike, where we're providing for independent financial professionals kind of insight into the world of um, financial professionals and what's going on in the business aspect and also a little um, home office insight from my standpoint. So I'm joined here today. I'm Val Vest with um, Cambridge Investment Research, and I'm joined here with two colleagues from TAG and um, Andrew Evans. I'll kick it over to you to let you kind of get us going. Well, first off, Happy New Year. Um, yes. Depending on, on who, because nobody's going to listen to this or watch it, but just so everybody knows the, the timing, um, it is the new year for us. We are recording this um, here in the new year, 2021. Uh, it's good to be here. Um, we'll see what the future holds. Hopefully it's, you know, in general, better than last year. But um, for those of us in, in financial services, I think that it wasn't all that bad, but we needed to do our job. So hopefully everybody did their job that they were supposed to last year. So yeah, so we're here. Happy New Year to everybody. And uh, today we have a, uh, this is going to be a great talk. It always garners uh, a whole lot of attention. Uh, I'm really happy to have uh, on 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 this episode, uh, Greg Rains. Greg is uh, the CEO, uh, one of the main founders of Tag Advisors, uh, and uh, a partner of mine, a good friend. Uh, it it always it always pleases me to have Greg uh, participate in uh, anything to do with uh, development, certainly with acquisitions. It's just a pleasure to have him here. Um, and so, Greg, I'm so happy that you've become so proficient at Zoom over the past few months. Well, Andrew, I'm happy that you're happy. It. Well, I I think it should be stated. Remember when when this started. When this started, you know, when the pandemic hit and we started doing this, you were, you were, I wouldn't say totally opposed to it, but a little bit of, you know, like a fish out of water. Um, I was colicky. I was colicky about this. That's a good way to put it. You were very colicky about it. But I got to tell you, you're, I think this is becoming your preferred mode of uh, communication. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny that you say that, Andrew, and that. Greg, you were uh, maybe colicky about Zoom because I was talking to someone um, earlier today. We were talking about how, you know, 2020, to your point, wasn't, it wasn't that it was awful. Um, it was just that it was different. Um, yeah. And so I think there's a lot of difference. And the funny thing is, I think we were talking about how, I mean, we're, we're just a few days, business days into the new year. And I think we all thought, I don't know that we really thought something was going to be different with the calendar flipped. Um, but, you know, we were optimistic that it was all going to be different. But I think a lot of, you know, the things that we've learned, like Zoom, you know, are still here, even in the yep. new Yeah, I agree. I think it'll be here to stay. Absolutely. Well, uh, speaking about, you know, when we say here to stay, Greg, something that we've, that we've been talking about, today's topic uh, is uh, acquisitions. And that's why we had, uh, that's why we asked you to join and very glad that you did. For you know the years that we've worked together, that's always been a, a, a common that's always been a common denominator is your knowledge, your experience around acquisitions, and it's been great to be around you for that because you know a, a rising tide you know raises all ships. 
I certainly have learned a lot and have experienced a lot in acquisitions. Uh, and it's a topic that I think everybody always wants to know more. They always want to hear more. They want to figure out ways to to do it. And so today, I think we want to we want to kind of get into some of the meat of what your experiences have been, how you get it going, um, how you've done them, maybe some uh, some pitfalls. Um, certainly, we know what a few of uh, acquisition pitfalls is. Greg was joking before that. Uh, you want to stay away from any deal that I introduce you to, but, but nevertheless, nevertheless, nevertheless. Uh, but before we go into that, because I know we're going to have a wide audience, hopefully, of uh, people watching this, um, can we get? Uh, let's get a little bit more background on you, Greg. Where you came from, where you started. Obviously, Val and I know all that, but it's good for everybody. Else. Sure. Well, I've uh, been in the business since 1983. Uh, 2021 will be my 25th year uh, being a branch manager on the. Uh, FINRA on the investment side, um, both advisory and um, FINRA. Really grew up on the life side, gradually moved to uh, becoming well-rounded, both on insurance as well as securities. I became a branch manager in 1996, again, 25 years. Prior to this and during the early part of my running a branch. I ran a life brokerage agency also, and I just found that I've always enjoyed working with advisors. Uh, it continues to the, the to this day. Uh, I gave up my retail book to my daughter probably a little over 10 years ago, and uh, this is what I enjoy doing day in and day out. I like the relationship uh, with advisors. I like learning what makes them tick, uh, how they thrive, how they succeed, what the pitfalls are. And um, for me, it's uh, been very rewarding. Um, as Andrew well knows, we have just eclipsed our 300th advisor in our branch in December. So today we're working with uh, 300 advisors nationally within Cambridge, and uh, we hope to continue that trend. Yeah, did you know that, Val? You know, I did know that, and I wanted to say congratulations. So I think you and I had talked about that, Andrew, but that, that, it's a great accomplishment. So congratulations, um, definitely, to Greg, and to, to both of you, really. Yeah, thank you. Thank you a lot. Uh, we finished the year right at $58 million in gross dealer concession and with 300 advisors. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's very encouraging. And certainly, Andrew's been a big part of that. I'm, I'm, I just look pretty. I just make sure that, uh, that Greg keeps it going. You know, it's all about... Make sure that we uh, we just keep the ball, we keep it moving forward. Just keep it moving forward. Um, so Greg, uh, I should say it like this. One day, we'll probably end up doing another one of these. Um, as for some of our other successive episodes, this is a limited series. We're only doing seven of these. Hopefully, if people like them, uh, if we do get some good traction, if it is good content, we're going to add to it. And I think what we want to do, Greg, is one day we'll do another one specifically about the uh, about branch growth and development, uh, recruiting, business development. Um, that in of itself, we could take hours upon hours on everything there, filling it with uh, specific, you know, specific data to all kinds of wonderful anecdotes that we have. Um, but you know, today, as we're talking about, you know, the um, the acquisition process, how many have you have you done? That you that you've directly done. What was the first one, and what was what were some of the things that you'll never do again? 
the first one that we did, one of our advisors referred me to an advisor who had found out that he had cancer of the spine. And uh, he had been trying to essentially sell his practice that had three different sectors or three different segments in it. And everybody that looked at it wanted to kind of break it apart. He wanted to sell the thing as an entire piece. Um, When I met with him, he was in a hospital bed. Uh, He was ultimately moved into hospice at his home, but he never, from the moment that I met him, he was in the final stages of the cancer and probably passed away, I would guess. I met him just before Thanksgiving of that year, and he passed away before Christmas. Uh, And we still wound up closing on the strength of our discussions, even though obviously things had changed. We wound up closing with his wife uh, rather than him because he was already gone. Mm -hmm. In that situation, he wanted a number that honestly was too high, uh, but we wound up negotiating with him to maintain that number, just stretch the payments out over a longer period of time to make the uh, present value of the purchase price more reasonable. Uh, It worked for his wife and it wound up working out very well. Excuse me. We got to the last year of that term and his wife did not want to go from those payments to nothing. The original term was four years. We made the payments for three. And at the, at the end of the third year, she divided the remaining payment up into three more years to kind of step down in terms of the income. And uh, it wound up working out all in all very well. That's a great question. Flexibility of one of um, the need for acquisitions and and the sensitivity, I would say, you know, as a perfect example, that was your first one and, and such a, you know, highly sensitive one at, at that. But I think anyone who's built up a practice, it's a sensitive and, you know, personal acquisition, you know, selling their business as a, as a personal um, endeavor for them. Yeah, very much so. And I think it's one of the things that, that we have learned. I've probably been involved directly with over 30 transactions, sometimes facilitating them between advisors, sometimes our organization being involved with them directly. Uh, One of the things that I'm a big believer in is that these transactions uh, very much are trust transaction. Uh, These are the legacy of the advisors that they represent. And I think there's kind of a false impression, false dynamic in the industry uh, with some of the organizations that are representing these situations. To me, I I would liken them to speed dating. You've just got a lot of buyers that are just kind of running through the mill and looking at them through a certain lens and a certain template. And to me, it does a disservice to the fundamental legacy that many of these practices represent. And I think it's one of the reasons that we've had success, because when we go in to negotiate with an advisor, first question that I ask them is, what do you want this to look like? How long do you want to continue? We're certainly not in any hurry. You know, what what would you like your glide path to look like uh, as you contemplate this move? One that we just finished in September, the advisor was talking to a national strong, I mean, when I heard that we were competing with it, I basically said, we don't have a chance. And I didn't say it out loud, but that's what I thought. We don't have a chance. And he wound up saying, look, I know if I do the deal with these guys, they're going to change everything overnight. They're going to change all the things that I've built 
all of the relationships, all of the portfolios, all of that will evaporate overnight. And ultimately he decided he'd rather work with us to establish a more reasonable glide path than um, having his legacy basically turned upside down within a matter of uh, weeks, if not days. Mm-hmm. Greg, what do you, what do you, th- what's your perspective? This is a little, little self-serving because obviously I know some of this, but I guess I'm going to ask in a way we haven't talked about before. The landscape, as you say, it's speed dating. What, what's, uh, what's really kind of driving that, or what's driving the, the, the viewpoint of somebody who, who wants to sell? I guess from my, is, is there people who really want to sell, or they just kind of want to? I don't know. I want to see what it is. Um, so what, what's, what is the market as it were in well, terms of the availability of, of acquisition? Well, a part of the sellers, I think there, there can be with some of those um, uh, um, national relationships, I think there can be a kind of testing of the water, which certainly I don't object to, to kind of get a reference point for what's going on. But um, I've seen so many of those situations though, where the buyer basically wants to get the seller closed, I'll use that word, get them closed and get them out. And I just don't think that's the way that these types of situations should be handled. I think they should be handled more respectfully. Again, I view them very much as a trust transaction. And the fact that we've done 30 to me uh, gives us a um, kind of a portfolio and an experience base to, uh, you know, to figure out how to do them correctly. And we, I, I think arguably, we learn something on every single transaction we've involved with. Certainly, Andrew knows that I'm a big believer that exp- is that I'm a big believer that experience is what you get when you don't get what you want. And uh, we've gotten plenty of experience along the way. Yes, lots of experience. It's a That's lot a- cheaper to rent it than it is to buy it. So <laughs> hopefully, the viewers of this will appreciate the, the opportunity to rent rather than buy some of that experience. I uh, two good, good, maybe three good quotes already. So that's good. <laughs> Val, do you see, do you see much, uh, do, do you ever get involved? Uh, I, I know Cambridge does some acquisition work. Do they pull you into, to help with any of that ever based on your position? You know, I don't get pulled in a lot into those situations, but where I do hear this a lot is I'm, when I'm out talking with our financial professionals, I'm always looking to gather feedback um, for what, you know, what is it that we can do and build um, for all of you at Cambridge. And I don't know that I've had a conversation yet um, with any segment, um, whether those are, you know, large firms or solo people that are asking about how we can better help them with acquisition and, and thinking about that. So to your point, Greg, I think there's just so much of that out there and there's kind of that speed dating mentality. There's my experience has been, it just feels like there's more buyers and sellers right now. There is. Um, but what I would say is there aren't that many qualified buyers and the ones that are out there are, in my opinion, are, are, they're just not realistic about what they should pay, whether, you know, what the, what the payment structure should look like. I think a lot of these deals are also, these national relationships are in partnership with the banks and entities that are financing these deals. And so they talk a lot about down payments. We have done over half of our transactions with nothing down. You know, most advisors, golf clubs are paid for. They they have their second home if they want one. So most advisors don't need a significant down payment. What they need is the security and the knowledge that 
whoever the buyer is going to take care of their clients and going to make their payments. And as long as you satisfy those two primary objectives, uh, you can make a lot of progress in this space. And I, I would say that's one of the things that to me, there's a misconception. I know, Andrew, you, you had a question. You know, what, what do people need to hear? I think that's one. These deals are a lot simpler than people make them out to be. Um, we practically had an entity begging us to help finance one of our transactions. And I just said, we don't need it. I mean, why do we want to create two payments when we can do it in one? Um, and in effect, double up on the payments that we're making to acquire the practice. So um, I, I would say that these transactions are simpler than a lot of people make them out to be. And, um, you know, we, we did a transaction in January of last year. We did one in September. Uh, we have one that we are working the terms out on right now that really is going to be effective at the end of the year. It's a continuity agreement where the individual has some cognitive impairments that under our continuity agreement as a branch, um, we're going to be going in and working out how to uh, help that advisor with, I'll use the word again, their glide path. Um, you know, simplicity is a key. Don't make them more complicated than they are. And, you know, as Andrew well knows, I've, I've said for years, the two biggest deal breakers out there are greed and ego. If you keep your ego in check um, and uh, try to be reasonable in terms of what you're trying to accomplish, um, you can make a lot of progress. Uh, th that's one thing I would say is keep the deal simple. The other thing that I would say is... Um, I am amazed that in a business that understands the time value of money better than any other business, how many advisors just want the number? If the advisor thinks his business is worth a million too, they are frequently, frequently not concerned about the interest rate. So if they say, look, I want a million two over four years, and you say, look, that seemed like a stretch to me based on the recurring income of the book, we'll pay you a million two over six. If the advisor trusts you, a lot of times they'll just, that, that's fine. That's the number I want. I'm not concerned about stretching it out. Um, and we, we do a lot of transactions where really it is the, um, well, I'll say it this way. When I sold, at one point I sold my branch years ago and went to work for MetLife for three years. And the buyer said to me while we were negotiating, um, I said, how do you want to work this out? And he said, well, it's three things, price, duration, interest rate. You take two and I'll take the third. I said, fine, <laughs> this much, I want it over this many years. He said, fine, I want 0% interest. And we were done. Now, technically, when you do that, you've got a, min a, minimum, uh, a minimum applicable federal rate in those transactions, but it is de minimis. And we were able literally to negotiate this, the sale of my branch in 90 seconds. So those would be two big things that I would highlight. One, keep them simple. And two, um, recognize that even with time value money, most advisors are primarily focused on the number. Yeah. And if they get the number, they're, they're willing to negotiate the rest of the terms. Well, Greg, let me ask you this. So uh, talking about these things, um, setting the scenario up, let's say I'm somebody who uh, maybe I have a practice, maybe I have a practice now, uh, maybe I'm looking to get into the business or maybe I'm trying to add financial services as a new line of business. Get me started. How do I get, how do I get out of neutral? How do I just get the ball moving? Start small. And a lot, I see advisors that are doing 150,000 a year that want to buy a $300,000 practice and it usually doesn't fly. 
you're a $150,000 advisor, you need to buy a practice that you can assimilate. If you're a small advisor, you need faults. You need to, if you're a small advisor in terms of your practice, you need to find a smaller practice to buy. A good rule of thumb probably would be one third the size. You've got to be able to buy something that you can assimilate. I mean, we've got a million dollar advisor right now in our group that's interested in selling. And the person that wants to buy it's a three, $400,000 advisor. And it's the primary impediment to getting the deal done because there is some question as to whether he can assimilate a practice that's two and a half times the size of his. Well, is, is it the size? Is it the size or the count of the clients or the revenue or the AUM or the ability to make the payments? It could be both. And that's, that's one of the things that I would say in order to have success, it's hard to do these deals when you are running a boutique where the last thing you're selling reflects the wholesaler who brought you the last sleeve of golf balls. Um, the advisors that are having success with this have built replicable, scalable models that they can assimilate uh, a new practice into. Um, and, and when you have that system, when you have that system on opening accounts and how it gets done and organized processes, I mean, you can do it when you don't have them, but it's a lot easier when you do. And, and certainly some of our success has been a function of the fact that we've now done this repeatedly. And at least to some degree, we have it figured out. Um, and the same thing holds true when we're facilitating between advisors. You know, I can very comfortably move to both sides of the equation when we're setting up deals between advisors. And I can tell the seller, I don't think you're being realistic. And I can tell the buyer, uh, this is a stretch. Or, hey, I think this is a good deal. This is one that I, I would do. And one of the rules of thumb that we use internally when we're making an acquisition is I want the payments to equal a percentage of the recurring revenue, um, 60 to 80%. So if it's a million dollar practice and it's 200,000 of recurring revenue, I don't, you know, I'm going to probably start at 60%. If it's 200,000 recurring revenue, I'm, I'm going to look for the payments to be 120,000 uh, on a million dollar practice. So I'm going to be looking at a, you know, in rough terms, an eight year duration for, for that acquisition. Well, but Greg, so saying something, and Val, I don't mean to, to dominate with questions. I'm just throwing that because they are popping to my head. But talking about like, we don't, we don't want to do a down payment. We don't want to do a double finance. But when you're talking about a number that large, what if there is a good sizable practice that that does have the reoccurring revenue, but they do want the money now? I mean, is that something that you'd want to? Because another question I have is, or, or what are what are the bad choices that you want to avoid? Like, is that it? You truly want to avoid having to borrow money, pay one price. But if you know that the reoccurring revenue can cover it, but you still want to stay away from it. So what are the. Um, I don't I'm not categorically opposed to down payment. We just haven't found them to be necessary in the context of, again, a trust transaction where we feel like we're a known commodity. We've got prior buyers that sellers can speak with and we just haven't found it necessary. And honestly, most advisors retiring aren't interested in a significant sum capital gain all at once. They'd rather stretch it out over a longer period of time and use it for uh, income purposes. I just love the um, 
I'm going to say the practical kind of tidbits or um, advice that you gave, whether it's, you know, starting small and simple and, you know, how to kind of structure some of those deals. Um, I would say my big takeaways, Greg, um, aside from some quotes, and I might even follow up with you to make sure I got them right, but we'll, I'll do that later, um, is trust transaction. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, um, I mean, you started there with your example, but, you know, kind of seeing it all the way through. And I think that's, um, that was kind of like the big takeaway for me and how people should look at it. And I think, um, like you said, people think it's a numbers game or it's all about that, but it's so much more than that, especially for those who have, you know, spent decades. I agree. Well, you know, the, the gentleman that was the first transaction, uh, he turned the, one of the components of his business was a health insurance book. And after he passed away, the gentleman that he decided not to sell to, went after those clients. It was a health insurance broker that he actually used. And that gentleman went after the clients and said that it would have been in Ed was his name. It would have been in Ed's interest for you to work with me professionally. It was despicable, Mm. just despicable that you would attempt to take advantage of the situation when it clearly was not his intent and was something that um, he ultimately decided not to do. Yeah. Um, if it's and on the same hand, we could easily have renegotiated at his demise on the premise that it was a wasting asset from the point that he passed away. And we just felt like, look, we agreed on the terms. We didn't get it closed, but we're going to stick to them. And we wound up doing it. You know, I think it goes to like, I think in our industry in general, financial services or solutions, it's a relationship, you know, it's about our relationships with our clients, whether that's you and your relationship with your, you know, investing client or me from a home office and my relationships, you know, with you. And that's no different in the, in the acquisition world, you know, it's about the relationships. So, Um, well, I, we appreciate the time, but before we let you go, we have a question we wanted to ask. Um, Someone doesn't, um, get to the level of success um, that you have gotten without implementing, you know, processes in place. And so one of the questions we want to ask is, what is a habit that you would say either um, you've done that has led to, to part of your success, or maybe even a favorite habit that you have right now that um, you're, you've implemented? I'm assuming you're going to cut out the long pause. No, no, we're not. No, no. This this is this is our this is our wrap up question. That it's it so far. It's been it's the best thing. What's you know the habits that you have I, um, habit you have now. I would say that uh, a key part of my success was that I learned to do things that I really did not like to do, and in many cases wasn't well suited to do. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm fond of saying that uh, advisors become successful because they take control of their world. And they get to a certain level of threshold where the controls that they put in place serve them extremely well. Uh, to go to the next level, you have to do the opposite. You have to let go. You have to decontrol. You need to, in effect, delegate. And um, I, I would say that to some degree, the success that we had was that I forced myself to do things that I really didn't like to do. Um, but I, we got to the point organizationally where I... I, I got comfortable delegating. And as Andrew well knows, there's some things that I won't delegate until I'm satisfied that they're going to be done the way I want them done. And there are other things that I'll gladly get rid of and, you know, we'll adjust as we go. So first it's take control. And then the opposite of that is get to the point where you delegate. 
And I think a good part of our success today is that I'm now free to do the things that I enjoy and that I think I'm hopefully pretty good at. And I can delegate then the things that I don't like and that I'm not particularly good at, uh, good at to others. So I think, uh, I think that served as well. God knows in our organization, if it was just me and Andrew, it would be a certifiable mess. We'd be huge, but it would be a mess. It would be an unstructured chaos. Diversity in thought, skills, and 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 uh, all different kinds of things, right? It would just be a mess. It would just, it would just, it's. Andrew broke the Colby. For anybody that's watching, he, <laughs> it. he took it repeatedly. He's yet to successfully be be categorized in the Colby. Yeah, but, everybody keeps telling me I am answering. I'm doing it wrong. Go. The first time I ever met him. I said, Andrew, if you were a stock, I would buy you. I've only said that two times. Met with hundreds of advisors, 25 years, brokers before that. I said, if you were a stock, I would buy you. And the same thing's true today. He's better at his age than I was at his age. So as far as I'm concerned, do all the industry pubs and everything else you want. He's one to watch. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And, And hopefully you have somebody watching this. Well, it's great to see you. This was a lot of fun. Let's do it again soon. I hope it's right. helpful. Yeah, we certainly will. Uh, obviously, we're we're just scratching the surface on on all these things, as we said before. We'll do another one uh, specifically towards you know develop uh, field development. We'll do more as it relates to acquisitions uh, as people ask for it. But again, we're scratching the surface. It's only going to get more and more important uh, over the next few years. And again, Greg, thanks so much for joining us. We really, really appreciate it. We really enjoyed it. Glad to help. Happy New Year. Good to see you, Val. Good to see you. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thanks, Val. We'll talk to you all soon. Thanks for joining the hike today. Bye now.